Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Life continues to have its ups and downs, its trials and tribulations. Yes. Um, Is big news coming to Castle Scream Scene? Yes? No? Maybe Maybe so. It's hard to say. Only the very wise know what the future may (laughs) hold. Only Criswell knows what the future holds. Yes, that is true. Uh, This time last week, um, we thought we had things in motion to buy a townhouse, and then it turned out to not be true. (laughs) Yeah, um, that place fell through through no fault of our own or the places, really. Yeah, we, we just chose to walk away. There were there were things. To be fair, though, that place didn't check all of our boxes because it didn't even have a cave to store our bats. So, mm. yeah, it's tough. The market in Calgary is tough for caves. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you know, you got to find something that will have your caves. It'll have your secret passages, your dungeons. Yeah, like where was it, where was I going to put my Iron Maiden? Right, I like, have no idea. Yeah, yeah, no, and and a no moat for the alligators. Yeah, trouble. It's hard. Yeah, so at least you know we don't need to rehome our alligators. Mm-hmm. Um, but the search continues. Indeed. <laughs> How are you, Sarah? Oh, I'm doing all right. I've been struggling a bit. Because uh, like many places in the world, Hmm. Calgary and our province, Alberta, have made the decision to start opening up um, even as the pandemic continues. I would say we haven't even made the decision to start opening up. We just decided we were open. Yeah. Kenny said it's up to our own decisions whether we continue or not. And thus... You know, there are some businesses still with like mask mandates, but the vaccine passport has gone completely been removed um, by and large. And so that's made it very hard for me. Um, Last weekend, I had a panic attack in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Happy to say that this weekend, our uh, weekly trip to the grocery store resulted in a normal experience. No panic attack for Sarah. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you take the small wins when you can. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's how I'm doing. But I am excited for tonight's movie. What are we watching? Well, Sarah, tonight we are watching El Ataud del Vampiro from 1958, directed by Fernando Mendez. And this is a sequel to 1957's El Vampiro. So what does the title translate to? The Vampire's Coffin. Okay. I mean, that's true. All vampires have a coffin. Indeed. In terms of movie production time, it hasn't been that long since El Vampiro came out. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of how busy 1957 and 1958 have been with horror films and thus episodes of the show have passed, it's been a while for us since we saw el vampiro uh 23 episodes yeah that's like half a year yeah i suppose so hey yeah yeah so 
With that in mind, why don't you give us a little recap of the original film, the story, the guys who made it, what its deal was. Because there were three different movies in 1957 called The Vampire. There was The Vampire, there was E Vampiri, and there was El Vampiro. So El Vampiro is the Mexican one. Mm. E Vampiri is the Italian one. Right. And The Vampire is the American one. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Uh, in the case of El Vampiro, so we covered this film in episode 222. Uh, so if you want the full recap, you want to watch that movie before you watch the sequel, that's the episode you're looking for. Um, it is currently ranked at number 50. Which is pretty darn high on the list these days. Yeah, we originally ranked it at number 41. Hmm. Um, so that kind of also speaks to, you know, in over... 20 episodes since watching it uh it's only moved nine spots yeah now it is directed by the same director fernando mendez it's often seen as kind of uh being the start of the horror renaissance in mexico and i think it's really interesting with that kind of context in mind because it also takes tropes that we've seen in universal pictures Mm-hmm. And reorients them to be in a Mexican cultural context and almost like reinvigorates those tropes with new life. Yeah. So the story, it's a little convoluted. Yes. <laughs> but I think I have it nailed down here. So we have our main female protagonist. Her name is Marta. And she is returning to the fort near Black Mountain, where she was raised by her extended family, um, Aunt Eloisa, Aunt Maria, and Uncle Emilio. Um, now, the reason she's coming back is her Aunt Maria is sick. Um, by the time that Marta arrives, however, Maria has passed and has been buried. Eloisa, strangely, hasn't aged a day since Marta first left. And she also introduces Marta to a new neighbor named Count Duval, who also is looking to buy the fort. Eloisa wants to sell. Emilio doesn't want to sell. And Maria also didn't want to sell. Maria's stake in like owning the fort um, has been bequeathed to Marta. So now Marta has to kind of make the decision Meanwhile, a man named Enrique arrived at the same time as Marta, and they actually got a ride up to the fort at the same time. Um, Enrique, his cover is that, hey, I'm just here traveling. He's actually a doctor and has been brought here by Emilio to try to determine whether uh, Aunt Maria was actually going crazy near the end of her life. Um, Unfortunately, she's passed before Enrique could actually get here. Part of why they thought Maria was uh, going crazy is because she would claim to have hallucinations of vampires. As we learn as the film goes on, um, Eloisa has been turned into a vampire. Um, We actually learn this like pretty early on, (laughs) but the characters learn it later. Um, And she has been turned into a vampire by Count Duval, who is actually the ancient vampire Lavoud, whose family were aristocrats in this area and used to own the fort. Um, Lavoud's brother uh, is actually buried in the crypt in the fort. And 
Lavud wants to buy the fort so he can get access to the crypt to get to his brother to bring him back to life. Mm-hmm. Maria knew that he was a vampire and that Eloisa had been turned. And so they made her appear to be going crazy and drugged her to look like she had died, but she was actually in a comatose state when she was buried. When Emilio learns this, he panics and tries to go like dig her up to try to save her, even though it's been weeks. And it turns out that Maria was not buried Thanks to um, some servants and secret notes, uh, she was actually um, taken out of her crypt um, before she suffocated and has been kind of haunting the fort like a mad woman in the attic. Mm. Now, at the climax of the film, Eloisa attacks and kills her brother Emilio. Marta gets kidnapped by Lavoud and Enrique follows to the big castle to try to rescue her. Maria comes out and stakes Eloisa, and Enrique and Lavoud have a sword fight until dawn, at which point Lavoud, like, goes, oh shit, it's the sun, runs and hides in his coffin, and then Maria stakes him. So Marta and Enrique fall in love at the end, and presumably will live happily ever after. So it's very convoluted. Mm. Uh, You can see some common beats from Dracula... Yeah. Um, and it's definitely a like remix of Dracula in a Mexican cultural context. But with also this real estate scam. Yeah. Plot. A very like soap opera kind of vibe. Yeah, for sure. Now, one of the main notes I had about the film was that it was, quote, dope as hell, mm. end quote. We praised its atmosphere, its jumps and scares, as well as, um, as I kind of said, the way that it reinvigorated these tropes that we have seen over and over and over again. But I know that this was directed by the same guy, so Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what Fernando Mendez has been up to for the past year. Yeah, so you said that the characters presumably lived happily ever after. Well, you (laughs) presumed wrong! No! So, um, yeah, El Vampiro had actually been like a surprising smash hit. It was huge. It was a breakthrough film for the Mexican horror genre, being both a critical and box office hit. Naturally, a sequel would be greenlit, uh, the first for a Mexican horror film. Mm-hmm. Fernando Mendez uh, returned to direct. Uh, this would be his third horror picture in two years, um, since he had also done... Um, the body snatcher uh in mexico before which was the one with like wrestlers and stuff yeah and a ape guy brain thing (laughs) you remember yeah yeah yeah. um now between these two vampire movies he had helmed a non-horror film uh la esquina demi barrio which appears to just have been like a drama okay now the first film had been written by ramon obon and Ramon Rodriguez, while this film was written by Ramon Obon again, uh, but this time joined by Raul Zenteno. So we have the same director and we have the same writer, essentially. Half of the same writer. (laughs) Right. Also returning is Abel Salazar as both the film's producer, as he was last time, and as heroically Dr. Enrique Saldivar. So we have the same main character. To be fair, I thought Marta was our main character. Sure, sure. Marta's the main character. Enrique is just the, like, male lead. Yeah. Um, 
Ariadne Welter does return as Marta Gonzalez, so she's back as well. Um, also returning is Herman Robles as Count Carol de Lavud, and even Alicia Montoya is back as Maria Teresa. Okay, so everyone's back in action. Yeah, who was alive at the end of the last movie. Well, except well, for the vampire. Yeah. But he was never really alive to begin with. <laughs> so this makes Ella Taud del Vampiro, the vampire's coffin, something we rarely see even in English language horror sequels, which is to say a direct sequel rather than just the same monster coming back to terrorize new people. So the vampire's coffin was released in Mexico on August 25th, 1958. It was not as critically well-received as its predecessor, but it was still a box office hit, which would lead to another horror movie from Mendez and Obon in 1959, Mysterios de Ultratumba, Mysteries from Beyond the Grave, uh, but it was also called in English The Black Pit of Dr. M. Okay, but that sounds like, you know, our good friend Count Lavoud does not continue into that movie. Yeah, I think this is the last Count Lavoud movie. Okay. But um, El Ataud del Vampiro is available with El Vampiro on DVD from Casa Negra's uh, Vampire Collection, but it is also on our YouTube playlist. Cool. Uh, Is El Vampiro on that playlist as well? It should be. Okay. Sometimes things leave the playlist through (laughs) no fault of our own. Well, folks, if you would like to watch along as we cover El Ataud del Vampiro, or if you want to watch El Vampiro again, you can find our playlist at screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss El Ataud del Vampiro from 1958, directed by Fernando Mendez. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back, everybody, to Scream Scene. We just finished watching El Ataud del Vampiro from 1958, directed by Fernando Mendez. Sarah, what did you think of the movie? I really liked this. Yeah, this movie dope as hell. (laughs) It's two for two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I think it's a great sequel. I think it's a great movie in and of itself. Uh, I think you don't need to have seen el vampiro to watch this movie yeah um it's definitely better if you have but it's not like a you know marvel cinematic universe situation (laughs) sure what did you think yeah um i really enjoyed this um i think it's a lot of fun i think it manages to inject comedy into the story without becoming a horror comedy and like undercutting itself yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, it's it's also um, like very different from its predecessor. Like, yeah, it avoids the typical thing we see in horror sequels of like same monster, new characters. But then in using the same characters, it also avoids the sequel problem of like, it's the same story on a different day. 
like the count's not after like a real estate scam again or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they don't just do the first one over again. They do something different. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Um, let me tell people about it and then they can see just how different it is. Okay, dear. When the film opens, we see two men sneaking into the crypt of Count Lavoud. Now, Maria, Aunt Maria, um, does try to stop them, but they push her off and manage to get away with the Count's coffin. These two men are Dr. Mendoza and his hired hand, Baraza. They bring the coffin to the local hospital, and Dr. Mendoza pays Baraza off, but Baraza spots the, like, big fancy medallion around the Count's neck. Uh, and so he's like, well, I'm going to be coming back for that. Meanwhile, turns out Dr. Enrique works at this hospital with Marta as his nurse. Uh, now, she has been working as a nurse here to kind of get her life back on track, but she is planning to go back to the theater where her job was before, where her passion lies, and uh, they actually have a big performance coming up later this week. Yeah, it's sort of implied that, like, after the events of the first movie, that Enrique has been, like, treating Marta essentially for, like... PTSD? Yeah, like post-vampire stress disorder. PVSD? Right. <laughs> and, like, trying to convince her that, like, nothing supernatural happened... Yeah, it wasn't a vampire. It was just a guy who thought he was a vampire. Right, just a regular guy who was really into blood. Yeah. I believe those are called serial killers. But uh... <laughs> So Enrique gets paged to go help Mendoza. And Mendoza, when he shows Enrique, like, look, I got the coffin of the guy you said was a vampire. Enrique flips out and he's like, no, he, he wasn't actually a vampire. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Mendoza has done all this because he wants to dissect Lavoud to learn more about vampirism. Um, he's a bit of a, in that mad scientist trope of like, you know, for the betterment of science, I need to determine how much of a vampire is fact or fiction. It's, it's kind of neat. Like he's talking about like, the reason they don't have reflections in mirrors is because like their skin cells are like transparent to light rays or like something like, I don't know. It's, he's, it's neat. It's neat. So with this plan to dissect Lavoud, Enrique and Mendoza leave the room to go grab the instruments. <laughs> um, and this is when Baraza sneaks in to grab that medallion. To do so, he has to remove the stake, which means that Lavoud is back in action. <laughs> he hypnotizes Baraza and makes him his slave. As Mendoza and Enrique come back and discover that Lavoud is gone, Aunt Maria finally arrives to the hospital to be like, Enrique, the Count's been stolen. He's <laughs> like, I know, he's been stolen twice. And so Maria's like, well, we have to protect Marta because like you, her, and me, we are going to be targeted because we foiled his plans before. But above all, we must protect Marta. So Lavoud has already made his way to Marta and basically plans to turn her. Uh, part of this is um, part of a very complex mating ritual for vampires, which involves putting his medallion around her throat. Mm. Meanwhile, Baraza takes Lavoud's coffin to the local wax museum. 
Um, and Barraza knows the owner of the wax museum because they shared a cell together. And uh, he basically shakes his fist enough to be able to use the uh, the basement as headquarters. Yeah, he needs a place to lay low for a while. Yeah. Till the heat from this vampire theft dies down. <laughs> When they see that Lavud is gone, uh, Mendoza and Maria go to the wax museum because he's like, well, that's where I met Barraza. So maybe Barraza knows something. And as they are there, Mendoza and Maria are attacked. Mendoza gets basically strangled by Lavud and Maria uh, tries to hide in the Iron Maiden and Barraza closes it. She gets squished. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of like gruesome like he like closes the door and she gets like stabbed by the uh spearheads and you can see the resistance when he's closing yeah and there's like blood that trickles out of it afterwards on the other hand girl what are you doing hiding in the iron maiden yeah she uh poor choice poor choice now enrique is hesitant to tell marta that um Lavoud's back in action because of that post-vampire stress disorder we talked about. But he finally does because it's becoming increasingly clear that Marta has already been targeted by Lavoud um, because she has been going into these hypnotic states. When Enrique tells Marta, um, he's like, you know, I've tried to tell the police about the vampire. They don't believe me. We're on our own. So you continue to wear the medallion to lure Lavoud out and then we can get him that way. And Marge is like, well, I don't know. And he's like, no, you're going to do this. By the way, you need to wear this medallion during your performance that you're getting ready for right now. So she wears this giant medallion as she's doing her performance. It is during this performance that she gets whisked away by the fan, excuse me, by Lavoud. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, whisked away to the wax museum to kind of complete the t- transformation process. To complete this very long and involved vampire foreplay. Enrique does try to follow, but Barraza kind of holds him up, and so they get into fisticuffs, and all of this commotion attracts the attention of the stage manager, who promptly calls the police. So in the climax, we are in the wax museum, and uh, there is a fight going on between Enrique and Lavoud. Lavoud in this movie has a new power, which is that he can just, like, pop in and out of uh, sight. Yeah, he's got the blink spell. Exactly. You can only do it indoors. <laughs> so he does that a little bit to kind of tease Enrique a little bit um, and then eventually transforms into a bat and then is attacking Enrique in that way. So Enrique takes a couple of spears and throws them at the bat, um, misses a few times, but finally stakes him up against the wall. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like he throws a spear at a flying bat and then it like, impales the bat onto the wall and then you know the bat turns back into Lavoud just sort of hanging there it's it's great yeah at this time the police have arrived and Enrique's like well there's your vampire he picks up Marta and they head out of the wax museum and that's the end kissing passionately of course because you know this whole ordeal right so that's the movie as I said some new powers for Lavoud they still use the seagull sound effects for the bat from yeah. El Vampiro. That's right. But they uh, continue to do really well with the transformation to and from bat because of like the way that 
the actor playing Lavoud will like swoop towards the camera. Yeah, it's the special effects are very simple. Like they're not very sophisticated, but they make up for that with like energy and conviction. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of watching like Japanese special effects TV shows, like Super Sentai shows and stuff. Sure. Where like the effects aren't very elaborate, but like there's so much energy fueling them and there's so much conviction um, behind them that you like go for them. Yeah, you're along for the ride. Exactly. Because as soon as an actor or someone starts to be like, this isn't dumb shit, then you're going to no longer believe in what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. As we've seen from, I think it was last week's movie. Yeah. Big thing I noticed here, and maybe I'm just not remembering this from El Vampiro, but Enrique is much more of like a comedy himbo. Oh, yes. Here. Um, It's a little bit ambiguous whether he thinks Levoot is a vampire or not. Um, but it, it often sounds like when he's telling people that like vampires aren't real and Lavud was just some guy playing tricks on us, that he's trying to convince himself as much as like everyone else. Yeah, he does protest too much a bit. Yeah, he's also like, like he's all worried about how Marta is like traumatized by her experiences and how he doesn't want that to like come back up again. But like he's clearly like terrified of Lavoud and like the concept of Lavoud being around anywhere. He plays um, the actor, Abel Salazar plays the terror for laughs. It's very much like a, uh, you compared it to Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. I compared it to Costello in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. But yeah, he, you, you were like, it's like as if Costello was handsome Yes. to which I retorted that implies that Costello is not handsome. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good comedy performance, though. Mm-hmm. Like, it works as a characterization for Enrique because Salazar plays it really well. And despite his version of Enrique here being this kind of, like, useless comedy himbo, it doesn't undercut the rest of the movie too much. Yeah, it's a really good balance. And I think it's because the comedy doesn't detract or pause the pacing And in fact, because the comedy is coming from him being so scared, like it's not like we are pausing the movie to make a comedic scene about someone shaving or like bumping into skeletons in a closet, uh, both of which we've seen in older movies. This is a comedic performance of terror that is designed to emphasize that this is scary. Right. Like it doesn't undercut. Lavoud is the thing, right? Like, Lavoud is still very, like, powerful and menacing and terrifying. And charming as ever. Right. (laughs) Um, They cast a good guy to play him, Ben. Yes. Yeah, Herman Robles is fucking great in this movie. Uh, I think he's even better here than he was in El Vampiro, because in El Vampiro, he was kind of, like, teamed up with, like, Eloise and, like, this whole complicated real estate scam thing and he had like minions and shit and here it's like just him and Baraza who's kind of a it's Baraza is like if Renfield was like a goon he reminded me of Charles Bronson in House of Wax yes yeah 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 yeah. it's like it's like you know you gotta imagine if Renfield was like a brute I don't know boss what do you want me to do about it you know like <laughs> Hey, give me some rats here. I'm starving. <laughs> so, yeah, like, Robles is really great. He 
like really perfectly does the whole like charming vampire dude shtick. Like he's mm-hmm. doing all of that stuff just perfectly. There aren't scenes where it's like people making fun of the vampire or like, you know, being not afraid because they're too stupid to be afraid kind of thing. Um, we don't like stop the movie for scenes where we're like making fun of the vampire. Right. Yeah. Like the vampire is a threat regardless. And I think that is really helpful here. Looking back at my notes for El Vampiro, Enrique was much less of a himbo. He's definitely kind of more of um, like he's the one who's doing the research and discovers that like it's like this whole mining like real estate scheme. Right. Yeah. And all of that. So um, it's interesting that they've kind of changed that role for him here. Um, But I think it works really well because it makes it feel like the characters are more out of their depth. Sure. And the other thing that really helps with that is the fact that people die so quickly. Right. Yeah. Like I was pretty shocked by Mendoza and Maria getting offed like so early in the movie. Um, It's, it's actually pretty shocking. Yeah. Uh, It was just like, Oh, okay. Especially because Aunt Maria is kind of our expert here. Yes. Um, And so her getting got so quickly definitely was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really just our two intrepid heroes now. Yeah, um, what's really effective about it is that it's early enough in the movie to be a surprise, but late enough in the movie that you don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Which is to say that, like, for a horror movie to kill off a character from the previous movie in, like, the first scene or something is pretty common, right? Where it's like, oh, hey, we brought back this actor to kill them so you know that the monster is more serious than ever, <laughs> you know? Um And it's like, oh, that actor came in for like a day for a cameo, right? Maria sticks around like long enough that you're like, oh, right, Maria, she was cool in the last movie. What a badass. And then like she gets killed and you're like, oh, damn, you know? And she's killed by Barraza. Yeah. Which I also, okay. When Enrique is following after Marta um, in the Wax Museum, Mm. um, he is sneaking around because he's also still kind of fighting Barraza. And he opens the Iron Maiden because he sees something there and a cat jumps out. A black cat jumps out. And I was like, oh, does this mean Maria was actually like a witch or something and transformed into a cat? No, it doesn't come up ever again. I think it was just meant to be a jump scare. Um, But it made me like, like, oh, what a missed opportunity, man. Come (laughs) on. (laughs) Um, The movie has really great, like shadowy cinematography. Like you there's sort of a concern when you move away from like the Hacienda from the first movie to the city that like, you're going to lose all that great, like Gothic atmosphere. But like these guys making these movies, like know what a horror movie is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, when we get to the city, it's still all like dark and spooky. Yeah. Like big, strong film noir shadows and stuff. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like it's a Val Luton thing, you know, they could certainly teach like, some of the American horror movies, a thing or two about like maybe putting some effort into your lighting. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that I was a little concerned when we got back to the hospital because it is a cheap hospital set. Yeah, it's it's pretty There's cheap. No, like very large sets, no equipment, um, unseen hospital staff calling off screen, like paging Dr. Enrique. Like it's made me concerned for the rest of the movie. 
Yeah, the the hospital sets look kind of very like plain, like it's blank walls with like yeah, very sort of basic ass doors and stuff. But they use the shadows to try to continue some of the atmosphere. And then once we leave the hospital, it's atmosphere galore. Yeah. So um, I was concerned, but they definitely assuaged my fears about the atmosphere not continuing from the previous movie. I think they, you know, did even a step up because they weren't, as you said, set in the hacienda where it was just kind of like a where you are just emanates that atmosphere. This yeah. time they had to like actively create it and choosing to go with a wax museum as well. Um, really stepped that up when they go into the basement where the coffin's going to be. Mm-hmm. There's um, wax figure body parts lying around right. just thrown every which way, um, which really amps up that uh, horror feeling. Yeah, for sure. I think if there's something in this movie that's a step down from the first movie, it's that Marta is unfortunately much less of a character and more of a sexy lamp mm-hmm. here. Um, she gets a few good like moments throughout the movie, um, but definitely because Lavoud's plan has sort of transitioned from elaborate real estate scheme to get the Goyle, um, <laughs> it sort of simplifies things and makes it so that our primary objective is like rescuing Marta from the vampire, which turns her into, you know, your damsel in distress type character and means that she doesn't have a lot of agency. And also that um, because the story doesn't revolve around like, let's try to drive Marta crazy for the inheritance or whatever. um, There isn't really a lot of focus on her as a character or a character arc or her psychology. Um, She does get a very good moment where when Enrique is like, oh, I didn't want to tell you that a vampire is trying to kill you because like it would just, you know, trigger all of your PVSD from the last time. And she's like, no, like I'm fine. Like I went through that experience and I grew stronger because of it. I can handle the truth. That was a good moment. But otherwise she's not as much of the focus here. Yeah, I I would concur that that's um, a failing here because one thing that I really liked about El Vampiro is we had multiple female characters who were like active in the movie we had marta eloisa and of course maria Mm -hmm. i think that um the explanation for why enrique's character has like changed from the first one is probably to be found in how good salazar does playing the role that way considering that he's also the producer of these two movies Mm -hmm. to sort of say hey can we make this part in a vein that plays more to my strengths as an actor, like makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And he does do it well. Another thing that I want to point out that really helps with the atmosphere and that you specifically called out as we were watching the movie is the music. Um, So it's from composer Gustavo Carrion, which is great because of that last (laughs) name. He also did the music for El Vampiro. Yeah. I thought that the themes were similar. Yeah, they're different but similar, and I think that it's good here. He does a really good job of amping the tension, creating that atmosphere, but it does get a little repetitive. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'm honestly sad that, like, this is going to be the last that we'll see of Count Lavoud. Like, this sequel was so good that I was like, why aren't there, like, ten of these? He's so handsome, Ben. He's so charming and charismatic. It's great. He he has like a great, um, like evil, powerful vampire feel to him. 
Um, like I love it when he has lines where he's like, I am Count Carol Lavoud, master of life and death, you know, <laughs> things like this. Um, I will say it's pretty cool. The actor, Herman Robles, um, had a pretty big career like later in his life um, as like a dub actor for Hollywood films. Oh, um, like he did a bunch of live action stuff throughout his life, but like when he was much older and he, yeah, played a bunch of different parts. Um, the one that stood out to me is he's the Latin American voice of general grievous. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's move on to ranking. Okay. So Ben, this time I took a page out of your book mm. and I just have a spot. Oh, interesting. I have a little range. Oh, neat. The first place I looked was where El Vampiro is at number 50. And I think this is really close to being on par with El Vampiro, but I don't think it's as good. Okay. So I looked below that and we've got some like pretty strong movies directly below that. At number 51, we have House of Wax. Um, You know, then there's How to Make a Monster, The Queen of Spades, Frankenstein 1970, And then at number 55, we have Back from the Dead, which has a lot of interesting ideas, but a poor execution. And I think that the execution in El Ataud del Vampiro is surprisingly good. Uh, So I made that my range from 51 to 55. Interesting. So I also started at El Vampiro at number 50, and I ultimately felt that this was better. Oh, interesting. Because it's not as convoluted. Hmm. You know, it's it's a simple enough plot line. We've seen it many times, but they do enough to spice it up by bringing in like almost inspirations from House of Wax and Phantom of the Opera. Right. Yeah. We're 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 taking inspiration from different old horror movies than we were the first time. Yeah. So I felt that this was better than El Vampiro. And then I got to the Screaming Skull at 48, which did a lot with its atmosphere. It also had some struggles with atmosphere in like large rooms, like we saw in the hospital. Um, And I felt that like the screaming skull, one of its big problems is the red herring of the gardener just being so obvious. Um, I didn't find those kind of obvious things in this movie and anything that was obvious did not bother me as much because it wasn't as much underlining. So I felt that this was better than the screaming skull, but not better than the movie right above that, which is white reindeer. So my spot was 48. So not, not too far from your range. Okay. I think that El Vampiro is better because it has more of that Gothic atmosphere It has more female characters, as you noted. The female characters have, like, agency. Um, The plot is convoluted, but, like, it is different than what we see in other vampire movies. Mm -hmm, That's true. Um, And it has, like, a lot of really cool elements, like how we think Maria is, like, a ghost at first, and then it turns out she's just, like, a mad woman in the attic. We have, like, a really exciting, rousing climax with everybody fighting each other and chasing each other around and like sword fights and fire and stuff like i think that el vampiro um even if it's a little bit complex beats out uh, its sequel on a number of levels even if the sequel is still very very imaginative um how about we just slot it in right below el vampiro yeah Um, to kind of speak to why I feel it's better than House of Wax Mm. is 
House of Wax is very good, but it gets caught up on its own gimmicks. Yes. And Alatau del Vampiro has its own kind of gimmicks, you could say, but it does not stop to do them Mm -hmm. Um, and actually finds ways to point out things in the Wax Museum, like the Iron Maiden, like the guillotine that builds tension rather than stopping the movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's, I'm happy with this. Okay. Entering the list at the new number 51 is El Ataud del Vampiro from 1958, directed by Fernando Mendez. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Screamscene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can listen to us on whatever app you prefer by subscribing to our RSS feed. You can also help the show out by leaving us a rating or a review on the podcasting app of your choice. Or, if you have the means, you can head on over to patreon.com slash podcast to support the show financially. Your help as a patron of the night helps provide for our hosting fees and the time it takes to research and produce all of this content. You can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month, but patrons at the $5 and $10 levels get access to regular bonus content, and patrons of all levels get to vote in the monthly polls that decide our horror adjacent bonus episode each month um and the poll results are in this month's horror adjacent movie is going to be 1944's arsenic and old lace yeah i know people have been really wanting this one for a while yes uh chomping at the bit is how i would describe people wanting this movie yeah if you want to get in on those polls head on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast so what are we watching next week ben next week sarah we are sticking with vampires uh we are going to britain for blood of the vampire which is a british horror movie written by jimmy sangster that is not from hammer is it designed to kind of capitalize yes it is absolutely designed to make you think it's a hammer movie okay but it's not well i'm still excited See you then, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye.